today on Ag News Daily. We looked at um, trade over the past 10 years and determined what was the maximum amount of trade that these retaliating countries could have imported from us. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today I am joined by Delaney Howell with the Ag News Daily podcast. And Delaney, so you're in D.C. all week, but what are you doing today? Well, today I'm flying home, so in case you hear any background noise, it's because I'm sitting in the Atlanta airport on my layover flight. But uh, yeah, I was in D.C. all week. There's a lot of stuff going on in D.C., as we've talked about on the podcast before. But Madison, you actually sat in on really the biggest news for this week. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So today I was able to sit in on the kind of press call with Secretary Perdue and um, Undersecretary Northey and some others to really talk about the MFP payments and um, what they're doing with that, how they were able to find, you know, the $15 minimum per acre, how they found the maximum, and really what's going to be different about the these um, this MFP payment kind of cycle. Um, but one thing I do kind of want to reiterate that they will talk about in the clip that we will be playing later on Um that the 2019 MFP signup is does start on um, July 29th and goes through December 6th of 2019. So just kind of keep those dates in mind. Absolutely. And it is 100% verified that you have to re-sign up. So if you signed up for last year's MFP payments, you don't automatically sworn into this year's. You have to go back and sign up with your FSA offices. But like Madison said, that's coming here in just a little bit, but I had a couple of just extra points. I don't think these really got made. Um, well, well, he did to some extent, but just to give you kind of an overview here, because we know mm. it's a lot to process. Basically, the first checks will start heading out to farmers in August. Um, that $15 per acre payment is really just for folks that were impacted by wet fields, etc. maybe plants with a cover crop on there. But those $15 per acre payments are not necessarily for the producers that have, you know, corn and soybeans and wheat. So I think there was maybe a little, a little, uh, hesitation or that producers when they first saw that $15 an acre was going to be the minimum payment. That's not necessarily your commodity rate. And of course it varies county by county, but I did also want to add that the $15 per acre that will cover those cover crop acres, you have to have that crop planted by August 1st. So likely if you don't have it done in the next six days, you will not be Mm -hmm. eligible for that MFP payment. Yes. So make sure to um, get everything that you need to, if you are wanting to sign up and again, you know, re-sign up, it will not carry over. So. Absolutely. And another thing they actually kind of talked about on um, the press conference that we weren't really, they kind of more just touched on it, but the details of the USDA's food purchase and distribution program. Um, this program, I believe, started two years ago, and they are estimated to purchase about $1,359 worth of ag products. This does include um, any commodities that were affected by trade retaliation, such as fruits, vegetables, some processed foods, beef, pork, lamb, poultry, and milk for distribution by the Food and Nutrition Service. This is 
all going to food banks, schools, and other outlets serving low-income individuals. And purchasing um, will be in more four phases starting after October 1st of 2019, and deliveries will begin in January of 2020. Um, and then also these products will be that are purchased will be adjusted between phases to accommodate changes due to growing conditions, product availability, market conditions, trade negotiation status, and program capacity. And AMS will purchase known commodities first. First, and then again, purchasing in phases does allow for um, this program to accommodate um, different conditions, like I said previously. Yes, absolutely. Good call there, Madison. But um, I think the other big headline that jumped out at me today, besides the MFP stuff, and of course, mm-hmm. we're going to get to that, like we said, was some recent purchases by private Chinese soybean buyers, private soybean crushers actually, have concluded their first purchase of U.S. soybeans since the trade war kicked off. And it was a trade of one full cargo, so one full cargo ship there, coming out of the ports of the PNW, headed to China. And this is really the the first large purchase we've seen here since the trade war has has kicked off. And uh, this purchase of U.S. soybeans was paid pretty close to market value, if not just over market value. So it looks like Chinese China is, is making good on some of their promises. And it appears the Chinese government has given kind of the okay or the green light to some of those private companies to start importing U.S. soybeans again. That is some really good news, Delaney. And I know I saw kind of rumors of that floating around, I want to say about a couple months ago, but nothing really, um, nothing really was kind of set in stone, so to speak. Absolutely. So we also did see confirmation that U.S. negotiators will head to Shanghai next week to continue discussions with those folks. Yes, and that's very exciting. So hopefully they can, you know, get those trade talks back rolling and um, maybe find some clarity on that. Absolutely. Madison, what else did you see in the news today? Well, one other thing that I noticed um, is the Senate Ag Committee is uh, trying to kind of break into that hemp industry and find regulations that um, so that farmers are able to grow hemp. Um, I know the farmers have been really clamoring for information from USDA and how it plans to regulate hemp, but also USDA has been really wanting to take lots of caution with this, really kind of work through this these regulations slowly, make sure they have the correct verbiage, and find really figure out how they are going to specify these cr- crops. Um, Uh, And on the FDA side, the agency has been cracking down on companies that are making substantiated claims about the health benefits of products containing CBD oil. Um, So um, we can see more coming out about about CBD oil and do want to reiterate that um, some companies are saying that CBD oil products claim to treat cancer, Alzheimer's disease, opioid withdrawal, and pain, and pet anxiety, among many other conditions. But FDA has found that it's not quite, it doesn't quite go that far. It might help with some of those conditions, but it's not going to 
treat or cure them. Right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it also looks like it really does seem like, I don't know, I've, I've heard mixed reviews. So I talked to some legislators this week about where we sat in the regulation standard of mm-hmm. hemp. And they're saying, eh, this year seems a little optimistic. But now we're seeing some folks from the House Ag Committee saying, yeah, we're thinking it's going to be finalized by this fall. So to be seen, I suppose. Yeah. And I know, um, I think it was Secretary Purdue said, you know, maybe don't keep your hopes up too much for having it this year, but definitely, you know, 2020 planting season will probably have something out. Yes, hopefully. But I also want to say, uh, I think it was Conaway. I'm trying to think, I want to make sure I quote it correctly, but I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure it was Conaway that said yesterday in a couple interviews with him um, that, you know, hemp is, is exciting. It's a new way to diversify your operation, but it's not going to be a silver bullet for agriculture. Like yeah. some people are playing it up to be. Yes, definitely. It's just going to be one of those, another option, basically. Absolutely, Madison. Absolutely. See, I think I'm out of news. Madison, what else do you have to chat about? Well, Delaney, I have one last thing for us. It's not quite news, but it does come come from our friend Ray Bohax or the Hot Rod Farmer, as he's better known as, um, with our Hot Rod Farmer Minute. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I'm Ray Bohax from the Farm Machinery Digest website and Idle Chatter podcast found on the Global Ag Network. Though the diesel engine is the main worker on the modern farm, there are still many gasoline power plants employed for various tasks. By design, they have a spark plug in every cylinder. As simple as a spark plug appears, it often is the recipient of improper service that may result in poor performance, short service life, or a misfire under load. Residing in the combustion chamber of the engine, spark plugs endure severe temperature fluxes, extreme pressure, electrical degradation, and chemical attack from the components blended into the gasoline. Before removing the old spark plug, use a compressed air gun to blow away any dirt or debris that may have collected around the exterior. The dirt cannot be allowed to enter the cylinder bore since it will score the wall and wear the rings. Always inspect new plugs for damage. If dropped, check for cracks in the porcelain. Make sure the side electrode lines up with the center electrode and is straight. If not, gently reposition it with needle nose pliers. Use a spark plug feeler gauge to obtain the proper gap. When correct, the gauge will drag evenly on both the center and side electrodes. Make sure the gauge is straight and not cocked when checking. If the side electrode needs to be excessively angled up or down to create the proper gap, the spark plug is the wrong design or the specification is incorrect. Coat the threads with anti-seize compound. This is especially important with an aluminum cylinder head or equipment that is not stored in the building. This will aid in removing the plug in the future without galling the threads in the cylinder head. Keep the anti-seize compound away from the electrodes. Coat the secondary wire connection and the porcelain insulator where the boot sits with dielectric compound. It could be found in most auto parts or farm supply stores. This will deter corrosion and prevent the boots from sticking to the insulator and the wires breaking during future service. Huge thanks to Ray there for that 
um, he's a great wealth of information, especially when it comes to managing your machinery. But Delaney, let's kick it over to the markets. All right. And of course, our markets are sponsored by our partners at the Zaner Group. Mike is now a member of the Zaner team, so you can always reach out to him on Twitter. He's very active there. Or you can give any one of the Zaner Group members a call at 312-277-0050. Taking a look here, especially in the grain market, they are not excited about the announcement of a Chinese soybean purchase. Starting off first here in the corn markets, the September corn contract closed down five and a half cents to end up four eighteen and a half. December down three and a half to close at four seven four twenty-seven and a quarter. In the soybean pits, the September contract lost eight and three quarters cents today to end up eight eighty-seven and a half. The November down nine cents to close at eight ninety-nine and a quarter. In the wheat pits, the September contract up two cents to close at four ninety-nine and three quarters, while the December up half a cent to close at 507 and a quarter. Looking over into the livestock markets for today, a little bit of mixed signal here in the August live kettle contract down 25 cents to close at 108.65. But the October up, or October, excuse me, unchanged on the day to end at 109.90. In the feeder cattle pits, the August front month contract down just two cents a day to close at 142.80, while the September put on 35 cents to close at 143.22 and a half. In the lean hog pits, red across the screen with the August contract, cutting 60 cents to end at 85.95. Looking into the lean hog pits here, red across the screen with the August contract, cutting 60 cents to close at 85.95. The October down $2.20 to close at 78.65. And right on our markets with the Class 3 dairy futures. The July contract up 6 cents on the day to close at 17.47. The August down just 2 cents to close at 17.69. Now, as promised, we are going to... Turn it over to some of those comments made by USDA folks about this new market facilitation program payment. So let's talk briefly about how the program is similar and how it's different from last year. Um, the trade damage approach is the same. We're still using a, a trade model to look at what we would say uh, uh, trade could be in the absence of these tariffs, and we compare it to what trade is right now, and that gives us our damage number. The model stimulates expected reductions in U.S. bilateral exports due to the imposition of those retaliatory tariffs on a number of, of the products that, were, uh, that you're familiar with from last year and some additional ones from this year. Uh, again, the trade damage is calculated as that difference between the tariff um, uh, estimated level of, of trade and, uh, again, what the baseline would be without those tariffs. One difference this, with this year's program is the sense that we looked at um, trade over the past 10 years and uh, determined what was the maximum amount of trade that the uh, retaliating countries could have imported from us. So that starts um, uh, uh, the difference in the two programs in the sense that we didn't use 2017 export numbers. We used um, uh, a different year, depending on which, uh, which year was reflected the largest amount of trade that the U.S. producers have been able to export to those retaliating countries. As a result, when we impose the tariffs on those, uh, on those amounts, we do get larger amounts of damages that do reflect the fact, as the Secretary mentioned, that there are a number of retaliatory tariffs out there, but there are also a lot of non-tariff measures that are affecting our producers as they seek to export crops competitively across the globe. There are another, uh, a couple other <clears throat> differences that I should mention. For example, we know that the retaliatory tariffs from Canada and Mexico um, have been removed, and so we do not consider those in this trade model. 
But on the other hand, we know that China has increased some of its tariffs on some of our goods, so we do increase the tariff amount um, for those products. And we also know that, Turk, uh, that uh, India has also levied addition, uh, tariffs on our products, and that also contributes to a higher level of trade damage that we might expect. So considering those uh, factors, we, uh, we developed the trade damage numbers, and then we, we developed several tranches that will uh, be paid out to producers that under Secretary Northey we'll talk about uh, here in just a second. Um, the three programs under MFP uh, will be the non-specialty crop um, program, and that uh, reflects damages to producers of a number of uh, row crops that you would expect. That would be, include alfalfa hay, barley, canola, corn, cranberry, dried beans, dried peas, extra-long staple cotton, flaxseed, lentils, long grain, medium-grain rice, millet, mustard seed, oats, peanuts, rapeseed, rye, safflower, sesame seed, chickpeas, sorghum, soybeans, sunflower seed, rice, uh, japonica rice, triticale, upland cotton, and wheat. Um, we have another program intended for specialty crops where we look at a combination of uh, the almond hazelnut, macadamia, pecan, pistachio, and walnut damages and develop a nut rate at a national level. Um, in addition, we have a, a national level payment rate for cranberries, ginseng, grapes, and cherries. And then we also have a national level rate for hogs and dairy, similar to last year's program uh, at different levels. Um, for the non-specialty crops, the row crops, as I mentioned earlier, we wanted to avoid distorting planning decisions. And so FSA and the Office of the Chief Economist developed a methodology by which we could develop damage estimates on a county level um, and then uh, provide those uh, rates to producers on a per-acre planted basis, so long as producers planted one of those non-specialty crops that I just mentioned. Each producer that comes in and notifies to it, the county office their planted acres will receive that rate for those, uh, those crops planted. Again. Um, I want to point out that the program is uh, 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 agnostic to the type of crop planted. So, for example, a producer coming in and notifying um, 100 acres of corn uh, will receive the same payment rate in that county for a producer coming in and notifying 100 acres of barley or 100 acres of soybeans or 100 acres of wheat. Um, and in that sense, as we mentioned earlier when we uh, discussed this program uh, in the spring, uh, producers uh, should not have been planting to try and maintain. Uh, county rate will be the same for all of those uh, those acres uh, per county. Now, of course, there will be county differences uh, as a result of the trade damages. Each county um, will uh, receive a damage amount uh, from our calculations of the trade situation, as I mentioned earlier. And then FSA uh, will develop um, average production levels for each county for each of those crops to uh, to, um, to develop a damage estimate for the county, and then that damage estimate is then divided by the number of acres typically planted in that county to those crops to come up with the per acre rate. Of course, that will lead to differences between counties, and uh, at 11 o'clock, producers will be able to go online on the FSA County, uh, on the farmers.gov website to look at their county rates. Um, uh, we did provide some smoothing in the sense that uh, we did uh, provide a minimum county rate uh, as $15 per acre, um, and we have a maximum county rate of $150 an acre. And uh, a couple other components I'll just mention here before turning it over to Undersecretary Northey. Um, these payments will be provided 
uh, over a three, uh, three different payment periods. And this first uh, payment period will be either the maximum of the minimum county payment of $15 per acre or 50% of uh, the county rate as provided for by um, the method I just talked about. The second and third payments uh, will be made in the fall and then again in the winter, and the Secretary will be continually monitoring the trade situation as well as the economic situation facing producers in, in those areas for these commodities, and uh, will adjust them accordingly. Uh, as he mentioned just a second ago, we expect the total payments under the market facilitation program to be uh, $14.5 billion. Uh, and just a note on the food purchase and distribution program, we do also estimate that the program pay, uh, the purchases under that program are expected to be uh, about $1.4 billion, so a little bit larger than the last uh, program. And uh, Deputy Undersecretary Lips is here to talk a little bit about how that program operates as well. Uh, I know we have time for questions at the end, and I don't want to take any more time, so I'll turn it over at this point to Undersecretary Northey, and will uh, be available for question and answer at the end of the call. On December 6th of uh, 2019, uh, payments uh, we expect uh, to start mid to late August um, and uh, will be made to, as we said, three groups of folks. We have the non-specialty crops, that county payment rate. Rob talked about specialty crops, and then to our dairy and, and, uh, and hog producers uh, as well. Um, it'll be based on that single payment rate. Um, so what we need from a producer is the number of acres that producer planted to qualifying crops in that county. In many cases, we already have that in the acreage certification uh, the producer has provided to the county. Those dates have all closed, although I'm sure we still have some folks that are finishing up their 2019 acreage reporting. Uh, but for the most part, this should be a fairly simple process um, we want sign-up to be easy for producers, straightforward, um, and uh, certainly want it to be able to be uh, such that, uh, that it does not take a lot of time for them and uh, that we can get these payments to, their, to them to be able to address the challenges that they have due to these tariffs that uh, have been uh, placed on our agricultural products. Um, the specialty crop rates, as, as Rob mentioned, uh, will also be online at farmers.gov slash market uh, MFP, farmers.gov slash MFP. Uh, dairy producers, uh, pork producers as well. Pork producers will be based on an inventory uh, back between April 1st and May 15th at the uh, date of a uh, pork producer selects. Um, Dairy producers are based on a 100-weight payment. We will have payment limitations uh, on, uh, on the payments that will go to a producer. Each of the categories um, will have a $250,000 payment per person or per legal entity. Um, and although you can participate in three different categories here, uh, the payment will be limited to $500,000 across all three categories. Uh, for a person or entity. Um, that is a higher payment limit than last year's. It was $125,000 uh, with two categories last year that were treated separately. Um, we do have an adjusted gross income limit as well. Uh, folks are very familiar with that in farming countries that have participated in programs. Last year we had the same. If you, do, if you earn more than $900,000, uh, you're not able to participate in a program. 
We did add um, the option that if you are adjusted gross income, your AGI is over $900,000, but three-fourths of that income comes from agriculture, uh, then you are able to qualify with the same payment limitations as other some folks as well um, that, uh, that, that were limited in participation in 2017 uh, because of the adjusted gross income, they now will have a chance to be able to sign up if they make that three-quarters test because of AGI um, for, I'm sorry, for the 2018 program, um, they now will have a chance to be able to sign up with the same sign-up dates here, uh, proving that they had three-quarters of their income uh, that came from agricultural income. Um, uh, there certainly have been questions as well with the large amount of prevent plant uh, acres out there. We had people that because of flooding or excess moisture were not able to get into the field and, and plant. Um, what happens to those acres? Uh, it has been mentioned before uh, that they will see, receive a minimal payment. In this case, it's $15 an acre. Um, for the uh, for the payment for those eligible cover crops, if those eligible cover crops were planted on those prevent plant acres, then they will qualify for that minimal $15 an acre payment. Uh, and then the payments will be made. 50% uh, of the payment will be made up front, with that payment being uh, at least $15. So let me talk through that. If you were in a county that uh, or have acres with a $15 payment on it, so prevent plant acres or a county that has a, a county rate of $15, you will get a $15 uh, payment on those acres. Now, if you had over $30, you will get 50% of your payment. So example, if you had a $40 per acre payment, you would get a $20 an acre payment now. Either in between there, uh, if you had a $25 an acre payment, you'd get a $15 payment with the remainder of it to come in the second and third tranches. Um, those second and third tranches right now are scheduled for uh, November and January. Uh, they are subject to the trade conditions at that time. Uh, so uh, hopefully we'll have a situation where we'll be back to a full trading uh, arrangement, and we have some folks working hard to be able to make that happen. If that's the case, then we have what folks want, and that's back to full access and opportunities for, for folks to be able to trade, and we will not need those payments. Absent that, uh, we will plan a second and third payment, likely the, uh, the, the remaining half each uh, split between those two times um, for those that still have payments uh, due to uh, their situation. Again, the covered commodities, Rob listed those when he spoke of them, uh, and the county rates, um, as well as the rates on the specialty crops uh, and pork and dairy will all be online at farmers.gov slash MFP uh, at 11 a.m. Thank you. One of a couple, uh, couple of questions. How did you arrive at the $15 minimal, minimum payment? And also, what about the, the variations across counties? Um, how are you going to address that if you get, I mean, there, I've just called them up, and I'm already seeing neighboring counties with uh, pretty significant um, pretty significant differences. Uh, how is, is there going to be any kind of um, 
are you going to do with that? And have, why is there, why are there variations in uh, neighboring counties? The minimum and the maximum payments were an attempt to uh, uh, equitably uh, distribute the funds. Uh, aside from doing individual calculations in every producer in the country, uh, there are going to be some uh, misalignments probably in this program somewhere. We spent hours and hours and hours trying to mitigate and reduce any disparities that were outstanding. One example when you do these by crops and the tariff damage is that you will see if you have a producer in one county possibly that uh, uh, resided primarily in a wheat-growing county where there was minimal uh, trade disruption damage, but he grew cotton or he or she grew cotton, uh, they're probably not going to be uh, uh, as well served financially with this program as the opposite, where you would have a, a wheat grower in one county where the primary co uh, crop was cotton. So there will be some disparities that are just impossible to overcome aside from doing an individual program for every producer. If we had the administrative time and and uh, staff to do that, uh, that's what we would have probably done. But aside from that, uh, the minimum and maximum were try to smooth it. The per county payment was also another attempt to uh, smooth out that and uh, work on a set of averages rather than the individual crops in that way. So we understand the we think uh, we looked at the disparity between counties, and there will be some uh, uh, outliers there, but we tried to diminish those uh, very much by the uh, policies that we put in place. All right. I hope, you know, some of that made sense. Um, got a little bit more clarity on the MFP payments from those USDA folks, and but Delaney, if folks want more, you know, clarity for our podcast, where can they find us? Absolutely, Madison. You can always connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Ag News Daily. You can send us those questions. Maybe you have questions about the MFP payments, how they work still. We've got our ears to the ground. We usually have some good resources and folks that can break it down a little further if you've still got some questions. And again, that website to check out your individual county rate is usda.gov slash mfp madison with that should we let the people go let's let them go